You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. God values family, and so should we. Know how God calls us to valuing our families in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. We are concluding our series on uh, Radical, and uh, we have been talking about our core values. Now, how many of you are grateful to the Lord for your family? Come on, give the Lord a hand for that. First, we have our spiritual family. Of course, we uh, celebrate 30 years of what God is doing in our church and in our movement. And at the same time, we're also uh, thankful to the Lord for our natural family. I believe that, you know, all of us uh, have uh, been raised up in different uh, forms of families. No matter uh, what family you came from, I believe that God, that is what God has given to us, and we ought to be grateful. Amen. Now, just to give, to give us a uh, quick recap, on what we've talked about so far today is actually the last day, the, the conclusion of our uh, Radical series. For the past five weeks, we've been talking about the five core values. And, you know, if you go to ancient Greece, for example, or in, in the, uh, uh, the olden uh, cities, you'd notice that there are probably ruins of uh, structure. And what normally remain uh, on the, uh, from those ruins are the pillars. And the pillars are kind of like the picture of core values. The pillars are the ones that carry the, the weight or the structure of the whole uh, building. And so these are the five core values that we have uh, as, a, as a victory movement. The first core value is what again? Lordship. Everybody say lordship. lordship. And uh, when you talk about lordship, what is the statement that you normally hear us say? Jesus, period. Jesus and nothing else. We're here for the honor and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the second core value is all about evangelism. And, uh, you know, we, find out, we found out that God values lost people. We ought to value lost people as well. Uh, here the statement is 99 and the one. That God is willing to leave the 99 healthy sheep in order to, uh, to find one that is lost. The third uh, core value that we have is very familiar for all of us. We always say this every Sunday. We want to honor God and... Make disciples. And so the third really is what we always emphasize, and this is the uh, core value of discipleship. And what is the statement for discipleship again? Every member is a minister. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, you are a minister. Ian. All right. And then last week, we talked about leadership. Leadership. Uh, in every area of life, I believe God wants to raise up leaders, not only in the church, but in every aspect of society. We need Christian leaders in government. We need Christian leaders uh, in, uh, in the education field. We need leaders in the entertainment world. And so we prepare leaders uh, as young as they are. We, we are praying for future leaders as well. And so our uh, statement for leadership is one chapter ahead. And today we're focusing on the family, and basically what we say about the family is we value family. One longer statement we normally say is we refuse to, uh, to sacrifice our families at the, altars, uh, at the altar of ministry or at the altar of temporal success. And so we value highly in our ministry family, and I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, you know, when uh, Pastor Steve started uh, this church... You know, when you talk about family nowadays, uh, you look at our culture, basically TV, movie, music, shape the way people look at family. You know, you have a lot of uh, things that you watch on screen and they try to depict what a family
family is. Like back in the 80s, there's a... Uh, okay, oh, no, not back in the 80s. This is quite mo- uh, new, okay? It's a modern family, okay? Modern family is really not the biblical family that we know of. This is uh, one uh, very dysfunctional family, but the, somehow the media would project that this is what's acceptable now. And how many of you know that there's a biblical way of us raising our families? Amen. Um, back in the 80s, there's a... Uh, uh, I don't know if you still remember this. Napapaghalata yung ano yun, uh, yung uh, edad. Okay, Family Ties. Okay, uh, that's a uh, TV sitcom uh, back in uh, I think '84. It started, of course, where uh, we we know this Adams Family, and now we have uh, this uh, legal wife and ang dalawang Mrs. Real. Sino kaya sa kanila ang totoong Mrs. Real? But you know, when Pastor Steve was uh, basically starting this church back in 1984 here in Manila, he was, you know, as the original team of people or the outreach team went back to the States, he was left here. He was uh, wanting to meet with the different pastors of the churches that are here already. And um, he was asking you know, one particular pastor that he set an appointment with. This is actually a big uh, church Back in the day, okay, I think uh, the number about a thousand or a thousand plus, and so Pastor Steve was able to uh, get an uh, appointment. And as he was talking about it, asking a lot of questions, one thing that he asked uh, from this pastor was, "What about children? What do you do with your children in your church? I know that you have about a thousand plus people in your congregation. How do you manage the children uh, in your church?" And this pastor basically explained to Steve that you know in the Philippines we have a lot of yayas. And we encourage our church members to leave their children at home and not attend church because they are distractions in the worship. And when Pastor Steve heard that, he said that that's not the way to do church. I believe that children ought to be part of church. And how many of you would agree with me on that? That children are as much a part of our church, hindi lang adults ang church. Amen. The reason why we have children's church and kids' church is because we invest in the next generation. Amen. Part of the bigger budget that we have in our church really goes to the children. That's how much we value those little ones. By the way, we don't just babysit them. We train them for war. Amen. We train them for spiritual battles. We train them how to read their word and how to uh, meditate on them. And I appreciate our pastor, Pastor Carlo. Can we just uh, give a hand to Pastor Carlo for leading the charge of the kids' ministry? And, um, you know, I'm just so glad that our children get to experience church, that our children are excited to go to church. You know, uh, every Sunday, I don't have to drag my kids to church. They're the ones excited, dressing up, and, and wa- not wanting to be late for church. In fact, sometimes they want to go to all the different services. More committed than the pastor daddy. Can you imagine that? And... Um, you know, I'm so glad to see little you know, kids like that wanting to go to church. You know, growing up, I'm not excited to go to church because for me, I, I used to think church was boring. But nowadays, you know, we, we, we really invest heavily on uh, teaching our, our children in the, in, the, in the ways of God. You know, when Pastor Steve uh, in 1986 attended a uh, conference in uh, South Korea, it was a pastor's conference of about 700, 800 pastors uh, he went there to basically learn about small groups and prayer. 
I think he brought with him uh, Pastor Luther Mantao, and they are, were listening to the speaker talk about small groups. Ang usapan dati cell groups, and so uh, you know he was talking about cell groups. He was talking about prayer, and in the middle of his talk, he paused for a while, and he said this statement. You know, some people are asking me how I can balance church, uh, ministry, and family. And he candidly said this. You know, for the first time in 30 years, we are taking a family vacation. My children basically grew up telling me I don't have vivid memories of you as a father. Can you imagine that? And then he said this. The last statement was, I failed as a father. And then he paused. And then he went on teaching about prayer again and, and cell groups. And at that particular evening, when Pastor Steve went back to his hotel room, he knelt down on his knees and basically he said, you know, we will never allow our ministry to do that. We will always prioritize family. Amen. And that's why I... Come on, let's give the Lord a hand for that. You know, family really resonates in the heart of God. And I believe that we ought to prioritize family as well in the same way that God prioritizes family. I'd like to invite everyone to stand with me. We're going to read one verse from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And this is about Noah. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Okay, I'll read from here. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark, to save his family. Everybody say, save his family. save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, we thank you for this time. Bless the preaching of your word. We thank you, Lord God, for every family that is represented here. Lord, we may not be perfect parents. We don't have perfect families. But I thank you that the grace of God is sufficient for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord God, that you will give us today a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and to know how to raise up a godly next generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Family. You know, why family? God works through families. You know, if you look at the Bible, He started the Bible with a marriage in the garden. And that already speaks of the start of a family. Amen. The beginning of the Bible is a marriage. The ending of the Bible in the book of Revelation is another marriage. The wedding of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, with his bride, the church. Now, who is the bride? We are the bride. Amen. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you are the bride of Christ. Parang hirap sabihin pag lalaki ka, no? Parang, I'm the bride. Di ba? Ang hirap sabihin, di ba? <clears throat> But we are the bride. And it's an exciting event. You know, I love officiating weddings. This is one uh, ceremony that we pastors love to do. Of course, we have to do the funerals as well. But we don't really look, look forward to doing funerals. Siyempre naman, no? We look forward to doing weddings and, uh, you know, child dedications. And these are all family events. You know, the theme of family permeates all scripture. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see the emphasis on families. God basically chose a family to start the nation of Israel. Marriage and family are central 
in God's plan in this nation. In fact, the family is the smallest battle formation to win the soul of this nation. Amen. And I believe that if we are serious in seeing change in this nation, we ought to disciple our families one member at a time. And how many of you are hopeful and in faith that one day the Philippines would rise up from the ashes? Amen. We need godly leadership. Come on, give the Lord praise for that. You know, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And how do we, how do we have righteousness in the nation? Simply lang, raise up righteous kids. Raise up godly children. It all begins in the home. You know, God designed the family to be the birthplace and the cradle of Christianity. We don't have to wait for them to go to church, for them to become Christians. It all begins in our homes. Amen. We don't have to wait till they are teenagers before the youth pastor can actually preach a message of repentance, before they get saved. You know what? They can get saved right there in your own homes. We have the privilege of leading our three daughters, our three children to the Lord. First, when Bea was, I think, about six, five years old, Bea, uh, Bea was being given a bath by Shirley, and you know, uh, there was like, uh, a question of Bea, what does the cross mean? And apparently, out of the blue, he, she was asking about the cross. Shirley took that as a cue to preach the gospel to her at the age of five or six, and she gave her heart to the Lord at that age. We didn't have to wait for her to go to church. Ente mo na lang. Pag-attend mo ng service, doon ka na lang maborn again. No, we took every, we, we, we you know, are careful and fearfully asking the Lord, Lord, give us opportunities for us to be able to share the gospel to our children. Many of you know that I lost a son, Jerome, at the age of eight. But at the age of five, he gave his heart to the Lord. He loves the Lord so much. We homeschooled our children, basically the first batch. The second batch, we're kind of old already, so... We put them to regular school, okay? Nahirap na mag-homeschool. But anyway, so when, they were, when we were younger, we would homeschool them. And from time to time, Shirley would ask uh, this two to write, you know, sentences or like composition and, you know, random thoughts. Just write it down. And so Jerome, in his own time, he would write down, you know, when I am alone, I am with God. Can you imagine? You know, a five-year-old kid has a consciousness of God in his life. And then he would write down, you know, uh, you know, when I die, mom, I want to go to heaven. In fact, I want to go to heaven right now. Something like that. No? And Shirley rebuked him. And he said, you will not die early. Okay, mommy, I will not die early. Okay? I will grow old and then die and then go to heaven. That's what he said. Now, of course, God has his ways. God took him at the age of eight. But I'm just so happy that at the age of five or six, he gave his heart to the Lord. He is so passionate and so wanting to be in the presence of God. You know, Anna just uh, had his her, uh, victory weekend last May, uh, gave her heart to the Lord last year. And, uh, you know, with the help of uh, Merle, uh, you know, just a uh, one-on-one, one-to-one encounter, you know, I was the one who personally baptized my daughter in the pools of Crimson Hotel. Can you imagine that? So it's, it's really a joy seeing our children uh, you know, being birthed into Christianity because I believe that the family ought to be the birthplace of Christianity. Amen. You know, my youngest daughter, Andrea, we were asking her about a couple of weeks ago, no, Andrea, are you ready to be born again? And Andrea said, no. <laughs> Ganun lang. Okay? 
she's not ready yet. Okay, so we're working on her. Okay, we're asking the Lord to give her grace. In fact, what did she say? I'll wait till I'm a teenager. When I'm 25, I said, Lord, wag naman sana. No? Iba yung anak ko na yun, eh. But anyway. But you can see here that we're not forcing this to them. Just on their own volition, they, they make a choice if they want to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen. We're not legalistic parents. We're there to teach them the Word of God. We're there to prepare the way for them in order that when the time is ready for them to be harvested, we're there. We're going to be uh, standing uh, with them. Family. Family is the place where humility is modeled. Sacrificial love is demonstrated and forgiveness is practiced and felt. So on and so forth. You know, when you talk about our lives being you know, uh, lived out, uh, in accordance with the will of God, how does God assess us? You know, how, how will God basically account or call us into account? Will He call us into account for the success that you have for your business? You know, one day I will face the Lord and I believe that God will not ask me, you know, how big my church is. But I believe He will ask me how I raised up my children. I believe He will ask me one day how, how I treated my wife. He will ask me uh, one day how I actually, yeah, he, He'll ask me about the church but the first things that he will ask me is really about family. You know, looking at the Bible in the book of Genesis, the, the book of Genesis is divided into 50 chapters, but the author did not really divide that into 50 chapters. In fact, the chaptering of the book of Genesis was done probably by biblical scholars, but the original author basically just divided the book of Genesis into 10 parts. And those 10 parts were accounts of the patriarchs. Like, for example... In Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, it says, This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So, it was being written about Terah. Now, if you are to read this, and if you are to say, This is the account of Terah, what will you expect? You will expect stories about Terah. You will expect the accomplishments of Terah. You will expect you know, how Terah lived his life. But guess what? After this was written... Only six verses were about Terah and about six chapters were about his son Abraham. When the Bible would actually say and speak about this is the account of this father, it's not about the story of the dad. It's the story of his children. In fact, if you go on for, further, in Genesis chapter 25 verse 19, it says, This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. You're probably expecting that the story is all about Isaac, but only a few verses were about Isaac, and 11 chapters were written about Jacob and Esau. And this is the account of Isaac. You know, when God sees you, and you're given an account to God, guess what? God will not, see, yeah, God will not just call you to account how you live your life. Yes, He will, but He will ask you, how, was, how were your children? How did you raise up the next generation? In Genesis chapter uh, 37, this is about Joseph. Oh, sorry, Jacob. This is the account of Jacob. And then the Bible continued. Joseph, a young man of 70, was tending the flocks with his brothers. I thought this, the story was about Jacob, but the Bible was saying or, or telling the story about Joseph. A few verses only were written about Jacob and nine chapters were written about Joseph. You know, I believe that God will also call us into account. I'm imagining in Acts chapter 29, verse 1, this is the account of Ariel. 
By the way, there's no Acts 29, only Acts 28, okay? I'm just adding to that, okay? I believe the book of Acts is still being written right now. And if this is the account of Ariel, only a few verses will be put there about Ariel, but several chapters on Bea, Anna, and Andrea. Fill in the blanks. If you write, you know, the next chapter of Acts and write your name there, write the names of your children, the question is, how were we able to raise our families? Were we able to raise our families in the ways of God? Or were we passive or too busy for our families? Going back to Noah, this is the general context. Very quickly, this is not a long message. But in the book of Genesis chapter 6, we're familiar with the book of Noah, I mean, with, the, with the story of Noah. Now, if you watch the movie Noah, that is not the biblical account, okay? Uh, it's way off. It's, you you got to go back to the Bible, okay? Um, but this is the account. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every, everybody say every, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was what? Only evil all the time. Can you imagine? God was grieved during this time. You know, he, he was sorry that he actually allowed this thing to happen to man. And so, you know, there's just so much wickedness. And the Bible says that every inclination, every thought was only evil all the time. Now, how many of you have a thought right now? How many of you are thinking right now? Okay. Thinking about maybe your dinner. You're thinking about, I don't know. You're thinking about ang tagal ng preaching ni Pastor Ariel, you know, ang uh, init, ang lamig, you know. You're, you're thinking about now, but can you imagine? Some of your thoughts are positive, some of them are neutral, but during the time of Noah, every thought of mankind was evil and wicked. How they could murder, how they could cheat, how they could be proud, how they could be arrogant. You know, thoughts about unforgiveness, thoughts about bitterness, thoughts about adultery, thoughts about lust, and all this immorality. That's why God had to reset planet Earth. But Noah, everybody say, but Noah. Kakaiba si Noah. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Look at this again. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God, and then in verse 10, it talks about his sons. Did you see the pattern? Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Basically, I want to present to us how we value our family. How did Noah value his family? And we can just... See that and glean from one verse that we have just read earlier. Going back to that verse in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, everybody say, by faith. By faith, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. You know, it had to take faith for Noah to act on what God is saying to him at that time. Can you imagine? God was basically instructing Noah to build an ark big enough to contain you know, a pair of every animal on the planet Earth at that time. And he was probably wondering, why? He's, he's not seen rain. He hasn't seen flood. I'm not sure if there was, you know, like thunderstorms like Glenda or Millennium at that time. But somehow it was in the middle of the desert. And God was instructing Noah, build an ark. This will save your family and ultimately save the world. 
you know, the message of God is this. You don't have your, you know, your work or your task or your purpose in life does not have to compete with your family. In this particular case, when he built the ark, the salvation was beneficial for his family and ultimately for the whole of mankind. Amen. And it had to take faith, you know, in the heart of Noah to believe. You know, why will I do this? But somehow he stepped out in faith. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. He said that. So can you imagine how many years did he build the ark? A hundred years. How many of you are willing to, you know, to wait that long in order for the fulfillment of the promise of God? You know, can you imagine if you're a single and God tells you, you know, build the ark. <laughs> Lord, 100 years. But how do we value family? First step or first thing is relationship with God is of greatest importance. He valued his relationship with God when people are forgetting about God, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible said specifically, though the others are evil, Noah was a righteous man. Among all the men in that place on planet earth, Noah was found righteous. Blameless among the people of his time, and he did what? He walked with God. He valued his relationship with God. You know, before we expect our children to walk with God, we too need to first walk with the Lord. Before we expect our children to read the Bible, the question is, are we reading the Word? If we're expecting our children to walk in integrity, the question is, are we walking in truth and integrity? There's a uh, small book that I used to read entitled Habitudes. Basically, these are leadership lessons based on some pictures. And one particular lesson is the lesson on starving baker. You know, and the particular explanation of this picture is, you know, can you imagine if there's a baker in your city who always bakes bread and feeds the people and yet he is starving? What an irony. He has every opportunity to eat bread and yet he doesn't eat bread. And his burden is to provide bread for the whole village. I believe that God is expecting us to eat first before we feed our children. Amen. God is expecting us to walk in the ways of God before we expect our children to walk in the ways of God. You know, I believe that it is the desire of every parent to see their children become righteous, become godly, to be the best children, to be the best citizens of this land. Amen. How many of you have dreams about your children like that? How many of you ever prayed to the Lord, Lord, I pray that my children would grow up to be criminals. You know, I pray that they will be thieves. May they be, you know, murderers, adulterers. How many of you prayed for your children like that? I think no parent will pray for for their children like that. We'll always pray for our children to be righteous, to be godly, to be this, to be that. But the question is, are we walking it out? In the same way that we're expecting our children to be like that, are we walking it out. Next is Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11 verse 7b, the, the second part. In holy fear, uh, built an ark to save his family. First is he nurtured and he put as great, of greatest importance his relationship with God. But the second is also important. We need to put our family as top priority. Family ought to be top priority in our list. Amen. In fact, Pastor Steve I would vividly remember when we were 
you know, one time he was explaining about priorities and he was saying, you know, my number one priority in my life is God. And I mean, if you know that that ought to be, he's our Lord. Amen. You know, he's the first, uh, you know, uh, in our lives. Okay. And he's the center of our being. Uh, second is our, is our wife. You know, my second priority is my wife, Shirley. Okay. There's nobody on earth that is more important than her. Okay? And that ought to be the same statement that each husband should make. You know, among all the people on the planet, your wife or your husband, if you're a, if you're a wife, ought to be your closest BFF. You ought to be, dapat kaya yun, that's it. After God, your spouse ought to be your second priority. And after your spouse comes your children. Children shouldn't take the place of your spouse. Because sometimes when the children start coming, there's a shift in the priority. Tsaka ka na, malaki ka na eh. Matanda ka pa. Di ba? Parang gano'n, di ba? My priority now is my kids. No! Your children need to see that you demonstrate an ongoing love for your wife. And the more that you love your wife, the more disciplined and the more secure they will become. So second, uh, first priority is what? It's God. Second is your spouse. Third is children. Fourth is your career or your work. Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever your source of income is, don't put that as the top of your list. And guess what? The way you spend your time speaks of your priority among this list. Where do you spend time the most? Aray. It speaks of the value that you put in for the people or for, the, for these important things in your life. That's why church, at best, in my priority list, with loving, I, with loving care, I'll say this. You are at best number four in my priority list. Okay lang ba yon? Because my number one is God. My second is my wife because she is my only one. Third are my girls. And fourth is the church. And I hope that you will, you know, be happy to hear your pastor say that. Some people would actually be angry, uh, you, know, for, you know, to their pastor or at their pastors if they find out that I am just number four in your priority list. Come on! It hurts! But the Bible really says the qualification of a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that a pastor ought to be a man who knows how to manage his household well before he manages the church of God. Amen. That is first and foremost. That is more important. And then, if there's some time left, you know, I can do my recreation. And I can do my bike. And I can run. But my wife is always pushing me to ride the bike and run. Mag-exercise daw ako ng konti. By the way, ang version namin pala ni Pastor King doon sa Happy, because we're chubby, okay? Because we're chubby, okay? Actually, that's how we sing that song when we were practicing. But anyway. Just very quickly, I want to tell you the tale of two families here. You would see on your left is a uh, man named Lot, Lot is the nephew of Abraham. And on your right is the story of Noah. It's interesting that there's one particular verse in the Bible that talks about these two uh, righteous men because of the judgment of the Lord that's about to happen in their land. 
Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald or a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood about the world of the ungodly, so he was talking about that first. Okay? And if he rescued the righteous lot, can you imagine? He did not just say lot, but the righteous lot. Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that saw and heard. You know, the story of Lot really was when uh, the herdsmen of Abraham and, uh, and Lot were fighting already over the land because God blessed them and God multiplied the resource. And Abraham told that, I want you to choose the land before you. Choose the best and I will choose the other side. When Lot saw the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah to be nice land, he actually went near that place. He was attracted to financial gains. He was considered righteous, but his priority were, were, was mixed up. He actually prioritized financial gains rather than prioritizing his family. You know, we find him near Sodom. And at this particular time, when the angels are about to throw her uh, hailstones on Sodom, he was already living in Sodom. From outside the city, a few years later, he's already inside the city. And guess what? When they left the city of Sodom, Sodom was inside the hearts of his daughters. We need to be careful how we, where we expose our children. The difference of this too really is this. Noah, he was respected most by those who knew him the best. And this is basically his family. When he told his family, guess what, guys? The earth is about to end. We need to build an ark. What did they say? Yes, we're going to help you build that ark. He was respected least by those who knew him the least. And the people at that time were persecuting him and telling him, why are you building this? You know, and so on and so forth. On the contrary, Lot was respected least by those who knew him the best. His own family did not believe his message. Though he was righteous, his priority was mixed up. Maybe he was consistent in his home. He was more uh, popular as a city councilor in, in, in the city of uh, Sodom. And he was respected most by those people who knew him the, the least. Those who are outside his family, he gets more uh, you know, acceptance and affirmation from those uh, kinds of people. You know, just uh, in Genesis 19 verse 14, just for example, So Lot went out. After the angel told him, you know, bring out your family, we're going to destroy the city. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. And how did they respond? But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting and joking. They did not believe him. In other words, they were left behind. He just took his wife and took his two daughters. And as they were about to leave the city... His wife probably left the kitchen sink open. She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. She, he lost his wife. And when they were out there, you know, a few days later, his daughters planned on committing immorality with their father. What a sad story of Lot. And yet the Bible somehow s still speaks that he is 
a righteous man. You know, valuing family. How do we value family? We need to put our family as top priority. Family definitely is top priority. And I believe that if we put our family here, God's grace will be there and we will see salvation happen in our home. If we ask the Lord for grace, and if we ask the Lord for His mercy, and if we ask the Lord for wisdom, how to minister to our, our, our family members, I believe God's grace and God's salvation will happen in our home. The Bible says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your whole household will be saved. You know, claim that promise. Ask the Lord of the harvest to bring salvation in your families, in your home. One last scripture. You know, we value family. One last scripture. You know, these two characters, Noah and Lot, are so varied in the way they raise up their children. But yet, they were considered righteous in the eyes of God. And how can we have righteousness? Basically, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. You know, righteousness, you realize that you don't you know, attain righteousness by being a perfect person or being a perfect parent or by reading your Bible or by doing good. It's all done by Jesus on the cross. Amen. And what He achieved on the cross, we were singing that song earlier, it is finished. It is finished. The debt has been paid. The price has been paid in full. And we are all recipients of the grace and the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. As we conclude our Radical series, allow us to wish you all a happy 30th anniversary from your Victory Alabang family. Thank you and stay connected.